Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. On June 12, 2019, Governor Tom Wolf signed into law Act 7 of 2019, which was the former Senate Bill 115, sponsored by Senator Tom Killian. Act 7 requires that the Pennsylvania Department of Education create potentially life-saving curriculum for cardiopulmonary resuscitation, or CPR, and provide it to schools to teach hands-only CPR, which is a no-breath compression-only technique endorsed by the American Heart Association. Here with us today to talk about this is Larissa Bedrick, Communications Director for the American Heart Association, and Steve Poffenberger, Director of Quality and Staff Development for Geisinger EMS. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So I'd like to start by asking you to give us a little bit of context around the subject and start by giving us a definition of what does cardiac arrest versus heart attack mean, those terms? A heart attack uh, typically is a circulatory problem. In other words, there's a blockage in one of the coronary arteries that starves that, that section of the heart from oxygen, which then sends the pain centers to the brain, and you have that sensation of chest pain or chest discomfort. And then you get the, the associated symptoms of shortness of breath, uh, nausea, breakout in a sweat, the discomfort travels down your left arm. And those are not always type symptoms, uh, but, but there's the, the more frequent ones versus the cardiac arrest is typically a very sudden onset. And that's typically caused by some sort of uh, electrical malfunction, if you will, within the heart. There's an electrical pathway within your heart, which causes the chambers to pump. That's what pumps out the blood. So if there is some sort of electrical disruption there, then the chambers don't pump and the blood doesn't go to the brain and the kidneys and the vital organs that it needs to. And the patient loses consciousness and and collapses and is unresponsive. And from that point on, their heart is no longer pumping, they're not breathing, and unless they get some sort of immediate aid, you know, the patient will die. Okay. And so let's focus on the sudden cardiac arrest scenario. How many people are estimated to suffer from a sudden cardiac arrest each year? We estimate about 350,000 people will suffer from a sudden cardiac arrest each year outside of the hospital. Okay. And the majority of these are going to happen in the home. Um, it could be a family member, a, you know, a sibling, a friend, or out in the community anywhere. And so that's why it's incredibly important that pretty much everybody learns those first steps to take when something like this happens because you won't always have emergency medical personnel nearby to help right away. So you need those need those skills in those first few critical minutes mm. after something happens. Sure. Out of that number, how many deaths result? Well, the death rate is approximately 90%, particularly if CPR is not administered. So sudden cardiac arrest is very serious. Um, it can be very deadly. But the good news is that there is more that we can do. If bystanders perform CPR, the survival rate can uh, double or even triple. So that's why we are really looking to train as many people as possible so we can really increase that survival rate. That's significant. So you kind of touched on this, but if a person suffering from sudden cardiac arrest receives CPR, what's that survival likelihood? And how does the timing factor into that as far as how soon they need to be receiving it? Well, certainly the immediate recognition when someone does uh, collapse or, or go down that, uh, you know, that someone reacts quickly, calling 911, making sure that that patient indeed is unresponsive and initiate that bystander CPR, that just 
so much enhances their potential for survivability. It doesn't guarantee anything, but certainly mm-hmm. enhances that possibility of survival. Mm-hmm. But every minute that goes by of someone not providing those chest compressions, that possibility of, of resuscitation goes down significantly. Again, typically once EMS gets there, that's going to be anywhere from six to eight minutes, six to 10 minutes, depending on the location. And uh, so if nothing is, no compressions are being done, that means, like I said previously, the brain, the kidney, are not receiving any blood supply and they will sustain potentially permanent damage because of not receiving that vital blood supply. Okay. And so Act 7, the curriculum that's built into Act 7 pertains to hands only, a hands only method. And I think, you know, most of us that may have been trained in our younger years or the more traditional Mm -hmm. manner includes both the chest compressions and the mouth to mouth resuscitation. So explain a little bit about the effectiveness of the hands-only method. Well, it's interesting that uh, that, that has come around because you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it wasn't that awful long ago that the only CPR training that was out there involved the chest compressions and, and the rescue breathing. And, and what they found was that that was problematic because some people just didn't want to do that rescue breathing part, which meant you were putting your mouth on the victim's mouth and providing that breathing component. Mm -hmm. And then there was also the fear of, well, I might break a rib while I'm doing the chest compression. So the breathing part, there is actually science behind this hands-only method. They didn't come up with it just to get away from having to do the mouth-to-mouth part. Mm -hmm. But there is some science behind that. And primarily when a sudden collapse occurs, the oxygen that's in your blood system doesn't just suddenly disappear. It's still there. We just need to circulate it. So the need for that breathing component for the first several minutes, upwards of potentially six to eight minutes, isn't necessary like was originally thought. Okay. Um, especially if it is truly a sudden cardiac arrest event. So we have that time of doing just the chest compressions only, not worrying about the breathing part. Uh, once EMS gets there, they'll take care of the breathing part. So the other type of course is certainly still available and still is encouraged for people to pursue uh, because it's going to go into other things like choking and, and doing CPR, unfortunately, in a pediatric scenario or an infant scenario. The hands-only CPR component is strictly designed for adults okay. that, that would have suffered this sudden cardiac arrest event. Okay, so I guess that's important to note that that hands-only is, is specific to adults then. Correct. Okay. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now, with respect to Act 7, why is it important to get this curriculum into high schools? Well, truly, like we were talking about, I mean, it's it's incredibly important to have these skills in the hands of as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. You never know when it could happen. And the more people are trained, the more people we can potentially save. And we know that there's over 130,000 high school graduates in Pennsylvania every year. Mm-hmm. And making sure that every high school student is trained at some point during their high school career, that's hundreds of thousands of newly trained lifesavers in communities all across Pennsylvania, no matter where you live. Um, and so we think that's you know a huge step forward um, in improving survival for some cardiac arrest here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's some significant numbers when you really start tallying up year after year. I mean, there's a, a secondary impact to that as well is, you know, again, from the EMS perspective, we're, we're struggling to get people trained in, in some of the advanced as an EMT or a paramedic. So this could be Someone in high school that hasn't maybe decided what they want to do going forward with a potential career, that 
they take this hands-only CPR course and want to learn more. And they take, they take a full CPR course. Yeah. And now they got those other components, and maybe that entices them, well, geez, I think I want to, maybe I want to work on an ambulance. And, and they take their EMT course. So all of that information just builds upon, you know, other things that they could have an impact on mm-hmm. as far as a, a sudden illness or injury going forward. So it, but it's, you know, it certainly empowers these young adults that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, I know what to do if something happens. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Versus the person next to me might not have that. What do we do? What do we yeah. do? We, they don't know what to do. And this person can step forward. I know what to do. I had this training. Sure. And they can, and they can step into action. The training kind of kicks into place. It does. Even, it does. In, a, even yep. in a traumatic situation. Yep. So take us through the training a little bit, just in some sort of general steps and stages. You know, what is this training going to include, as starting maybe with the recognition of the signs? Well, sure. So the whole component of hands-only CPR, uh, and and this applies to whether you are certified, quote unquote, in CPR. But certainly, if you if you see someone that goes down, so they're they're down on the ground, you establish whether they're unresponsive or not, and that's Mm -hmm. merely just going up. Hey, are you okay? Are you okay? If there's no response, you yell for somebody to call nine one one. If you're by yourself, you call nine one one. But that's very important to get that done first and foremost. Okay. Um, If you're in a public area where somebody where you know there might be an AED, an automated external defibrillator, call for somebody to get that. But then you expose the chest the best you can. You place your hands, one hand on the uh, lower third of the breastbone or the sternum mm-hmm. with the kind of the palm of your hand. Put your other hand over top and you start the compressions. The compressions are, we, we would like you to do them 100 to 120 per minute okay. at a depth of two inches. And f- making sure that on your upstroke that you're coming the whole way up. In other words, you don't start going down on the next compression before mm-hmm. you come the whole way up again. Okay. Um, but that's the that's a very simple technique, and you just keep doing that until a you get so exhausted you can't continue. Hopefully, someone else comes along that also knows the technique, and you take turns, mm-hmm. um, or EMS gets there and they take over. But it's a very simple technique. It's a matter of placing your hands in the right place. 100 to 120 compressions per minute and the depth of two inches. So the, in the uh, public service announcements that you see from the Heart Association, push hard, push fast. Mm-hmm. Call 911, push hard, push fast. I mean, they have T-shirts made up with that on, and but that's basically the technique. Mm-hmm. So relatively simple. It is. It's very simple, and that's why it, because it's so simple, it doesn't take much to teach it to someone. That mm-hmm. um, um, once you explain a couple things and they get down on the floor and practice it a little bit, it's it's not a whole lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a psychomotor skill than than anything else. And I do all throw in there that just be, if you hear or feel a rib that that mm-hmm. might break. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing it wrong. You certainly want to reevaluate your hand positioning to make sure that you're in the right place. Right. But um, if you just keep going, yeah. if you hear a rib pop, that's kind yeah. of what it feel, feels like and sounds like. You just reevaluate your hand position and keep going. It doesn't mean you should stop. Right. Um, that is a common complication to the technique. Okay. But again, I would much rather be alive with a broken rib yes. than which you can not recover have a broken from. rib. And yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. So training and empowering young people to know when and how to take action if they believe someone's experiencing sudden cardiac arrest is clearly the objective and also just increasing the population that is informed and able to take action. But how do we reach or how, you know, how do we sort of spread the information to the adult community at large that may not have gone through this hands-only training? 
Well, we have training, the American Heart Association um, and other organizations as well. We offer training um, throughout the community all year long. And if, if starting with hands-only CPR, if you're not a student in school and you would like to learn it yourself, you can simply go online. We have very short videos where you can watch uh, the technique being performed online and learn the steps. Okay. Um, that's one very easy way to do that. And because it's so easy, you will find us, you will find um, you know, EMS providers and other community organizations out and about in the community all year long at events teaching people these very simple skills. It, you know, it's as easy as walking up to one of their tables and, and practicing really quickly. Um, and if you want to take it a step further, there are, of course, certification courses. And these are the types of courses that I'm sure most people are familiar with traditionally when it comes to learning CPR. It's a bit longer process. There's usually a cost involved with the certification. But like we said, we do, I mean, we certainly recommend that people would like to pursue CPR certification and that more advanced training. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have all levels of training available. So to clarify, the hands-only method would not include a certification. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. But it's certainly a viable and important training to have access to. Absolutely. You do not need to be CPR certified um, to do the hands-only CPR. Okay. That actually raises a good point. So if, if a person is not certified or not currently certified, but they determine that they want to take action, you know, how, how does that work? Is that advised or not advised? Highly advised, take action. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Because we're fortunate in Pennsylvania, many states have uh, something similar, but a Good Samaritan Act that that covers uh, someone in the event that uh, they recognize that that something needs done and they act. Mm -hmm. Even though there's not a positive outcome, the Good Samaritan Act covers them uh, from legal action. And again, you can't stress enough that it's the time is so critical in one of these events that, uh, you know, if you stand around and try to decide, well, should I or shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the patient, uh, the, the victim here is decreasing their chance of survival the more you wrestle with that internal argument, should I or shouldn't I? But um, so again, the, the important thing here is certainly there's some jobs, if you will, that require you have that certification, mm-hmm. you know, lifeguards and, and some, you know, perhaps personnel in a daycare center, that sort of thing. So we're, we're certainly not trying to, to say that this substitutes for that, but there's the, the general masses out there don't want or need to be certified. But they, this little bit of information, this 90 seconds worth of training can be so uh, such an impact mm-hmm. you know, on, a, on a cardiac arrest uh, victim that uh, it's, it's just the more, the more we can spread the message and people understand how to do it, the better off the, the, you know, the Commonwealth is going to be as far as increasing our resuscitation rates with this type of event. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, that number, 350,000, that's an awful lot of people on it an, a, on an annual is. basis that, yeah. uh, that we could potentially have an impact on. And uh, so it's just a matter of trying to get the information out. And as Larissa said, you know, EMS is often setting up at carnivals, community fairs, or community day just to have a stand where people come up. And we've done hundreds of those. And, um, you know, a lot of times we get the, it's the kids that come up to do it mm-hmm. because they want to, you know, push on the mannequin. But the interesting thing is mom and dad are there mm-hmm. and they're often videoing it because we do yeah. that these days. So they're getting the information kind of indirectly. So uh, it's still impacting them because they're watching or hearing the instructions were given to to their kids on how to do it, even though they're probably not quite old enough, you know, mm-hmm. seven, eight years old. But, uh, but they're still hearing the information um, uh, about the technique and probably could do it just on memory, like, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember they were teaching my little son how to do yeah. that. And uh, so there is, that, there is that impact out there. So, uh. And, again, the sort of timing, 
the critical nature of the timing, first few minutes, first five minutes after a sudden cardiac arrest, what's that kind of timing? Talk about that just real quickly again. Again, the sooner the better. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you come, maybe you didn't witness the person go down per se, but mm-hmm. uh, you come across that person and recognize they're unresponsive, the 911 call is made, you, you start those chest compressions okay. as soon as you possibly right can. Right away. Because uh, again, we're, t- we're talking minutes are, okay. are making it make an impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the longer you wait, the more that that blood is not getting circulated. And that's, that's the whole idea. When you're doing those compressions, you're actually pushing the blood out to the brain and the kidneys and some other vital organs. Mm-hmm. And then when you release that compression, it's kind of like a sponge. It's sucking it back in again, and then we push it back out. And it's kind of that in and out. That's what we're trying to, we're trying to reproduce what the heart would normally do if the person had a normal functioning heart at the sure. time with that pumping mechanism. Heart's a pump. Sure. Um, so right now the pump isn't pumping. So we're, we're pumping for it by doing the external compressions and then trying to get it restarted. Now, the restart part, you, we talked about these automatic external defibrillators that uh, we're seeing more and more in schools, public buildings, law enforcement is carrying them in their police cars. That's a very important component as well, and those things are designed to be used by the general public. You don't need to have a medical degree to use one mm-hmm. of those things. So they're fully automated. When you open up the case and push the button, it tells you everything you need to do. But the, the whole idea is that electrical rhythm that the heart is in, that needs to be, in layperson talk, to, needs to be reset. And hence yeah. that electrical charge that we, by shocking the patient, that you see it on TV all the time, mm-hmm. uh, is an attempt to kind of reset that electrical uh, pathway that is now disrupted because of that, uh, what, uh, whatever caused it to be disrupted in the first place, that we're kind of resetting it, uh, mm-hmm. if you will. So that AED is a very, very important part. And so we certainly encourage businesses, schools, et cetera, to, to have an AET available that, again, minutes count there as well. We, mm-hmm. we have them, obviously, but, again, to wait eight or ten minutes until we get there with ours, if you can put it on, the machine will recognize if there's a shock needed or not. The machine will do that. All you need to do is turn it on, put these two stickers on the chest and the wires, and then let the machine do its thing, and it will tell you shock advised. You push the button, and it delivers the shock. And then you get right back on with your chest compressions. So it doesn't take the place of the chest compressions. It's in addition to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very important piece of this resuscitation as well. Okay. So I believe that Act 7 has been some years in the making. So talk a little bit about when that process began, working with this legislature, and when will the training begin in the schools? Sure. So the American Heart Association has been um, working to develop this legislation here in Pennsylvania for, I'd say, at least five years, probably longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been other versions of it, probably even longer than that, that folks have been pushing for. Um, there's a lot of dedicated volunteers who this is, you know, a, a personal, passionate issue for them. So um, it's something that's been of interest for many years, and we've certainly been, it's been one of our top priorities for at least the last five years. Recently, we had, you know, we had the support of Senator Killian on Senate Bill 115, um, and he really helped get it to the finish line for us finally this year. Um, And so now that the bill has been signed by the governor, it will start taking effect this school year, the 2019-2020 school year. So we're really excited to get started with that. And that just took effect this week, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Now, the curriculum that PDE is going to be creating and providing to the schools, who will be doing that training in the schools with the students? The good thing with this legislation is that the school can really determine how it works best for them. Okay. Um, If they have, the, the instructor does not have to be 
CPR certified themselves. They don't have to be a certified trainer. Like we said, the instruction is very self-explanatory. There are video instructions um, that they can use. So it can be any classroom teacher, health teacher, phys ed teacher. I believe there has to be a certified educator of some sort in the room while it's taking place. But they can also work with outside organizations that do training, such as local EMS companies that would volunteer to come in and bring some of the supplies that they may need, the actual CPR mannequins, so the students can practice. Um, There are those resources available in the community so that it can be done um, at very low or no cost to the schools. Okay. So if parents or educators or school leaders would like to know a little bit more about the training or what's going to be involved or how the schools are going to enact it, should they look to the American Heart Association for that information? We can certainly help with that information. It is now part of the public school code. So some of the details are in there. And really, it is up, like we said, it is up to the schools how they they wish to implement this. Um, If they plan to do it as sort of one big event as a school assembly, if they mm-hmm. plan to incorporate it into their health curriculum. Okay. Um, it, it, so it really can be up to the school how they would like to do it. And certainly, I'm sure if there are parents out there who, who have this type of background or training and would like to get involved, I'm sure that they could, they could be of assistance as well. Great. This was such great information. I want to thank you both for being here with us today, Steve and Larissa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keystone Education Radio is produced by the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Today's episode was sponsored in part by CM Regent and Crabtree, Rohrbaugh, and Associates. Listeners, I encourage you to visit our website at keyedradio.org for more resources on today's topic and to scout out other topics of interest from past episodes. This is your host, Annette Stevenson, saying thanks for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.